Our scripture lesson this morning comes from Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 48. As they were saying these things, he himself stood in their midst. He said to them, Peace to you. But they, but they were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. Why are you troubled, he asked them, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you can see that I have. Having said this, he showed them his hands and feet, but while they were still... Uh, but while they still were amazed and in disbelief because of their joy, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate in their presence. He told them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he also said to them, This is what it is written, The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. This is the third week of Easter. And now, as always, we continue to celebrate the risen Christ. And this particular scripture is a follow-up of what, if, if you joined us last week, of what we learned last week, that Jesus, that Jesus showed himself to the disciples and proved to them that it indeed was him. He was risen from the dead. In our scripture lesson that I just read, this account, uh, to back up a little bit, this account takes place uh, right after Jesus met the two gentlemen on the road to Emmaus. Soon after they talked with Jesus and he disappeared from their sight, they went back to Jerusalem and met up with the disciples and others and told them what had happened, that they saw Jesus alive and that he was real, he was not a ghost. So to pick up right here with this um, scripture, again, just like last week, they were all together and talking about these things, and here Jesus appears again, and he says, Peace to you. Why are you troubled, he asked them, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet, that it is, <clears throat> excuse me, that it is I myself. Touch me and see because a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you can see that I have. Having said this, he showed them his hands and feet, but while they were amazed and in disbelief because of their joy, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? I love this passage of, of this description of Jesus uh, coming and showing them himself to the disciples because it feels so comfortable. Here he is, again, he's offering his peace, he's giving them proof, and then he asks for something to eat. It's, um, it just feels so comfortable. And that, to think that, again, that Jesus didn't appear just to the disciples, that he appeared to the, 
the gentleman on the way to Emmaus, and as we see that he showed himself to, to many people to prove that it was him. He showed himself, we know, to Mary Magdalene and to Mary, the mother of James and Salome and jo Joanna. The 11 disciples, he showed them himself um, to them at different times and different numbers of them. The two followers that we just talked about on the road to Emmaus, his half-brother James, and over 500 people. We have that account in 1 Corinthians. It says, after that, he was seen by over 500 people at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. So there were many, many, many people that saw and were witnesses to the fact that it was Jesus Christ that had uh, come, that was alive, that had been resurrected. And to give that proof to them, showing them his hands and his side. The testimony is true. To us today, that testimony is still true because he proved to them. He proved himself to them. And so it's the truth that we still, that the reason that we're right here today. The proof and evidence was vitally necessary for the gospel to spread. We're told that he then opens their minds to understand the scripture. And he also said to him that this is what is, risen, the, uh, what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things. And it may seem redundant talking about this over and over, but it is so incredibly important for, for us, for, for the people outside of this church. As we said last week, Christians today are spiritual descendants of the ministry of the gospel that was preached and taught by those that Jesus appeared to and proved beyond a shadow of a doubt. They know that they know that they know that they know that he is the Messiah, the Lord, that he is the Son of God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we as Christians have a mighty job to continue to, to proclaim, to share, and teach about repentance and the forgiveness of sins of the world, to be witnesses to the world of Jesus Christ. And it, it does. It seems like a very heavy task. And many Christians, or I like to say Christ followers, uh, believe that it is enough to be called a Christian and that all the other stuff will be left to the preachers, to the missionaries, to the evangelists um, that have been called to spread the gospel. But this could be no further from the truth. In Matthew 28, Jesus in, in verses 19 and 20, Jesus directed his disciples to go to a mountain in Galilee where they gathered, and there he told them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. The disciples were to make disciples who were to make disciples who were to make disciples and so on. And that is what we as believers, why we find ourselves right here. But we are charged with this very same holy task. 
Because if it was just meant for those disciples to spread the word and then nobody else, it would have never gone much further. So it is for those that believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, that he is risen, and that burning in our hearts to go out there and share this good news. Again, we are charged with the same holy task of sharing as the disciples were. It's evangelism. Now, evangelism is defined as spreading of the Christian gospel by public preaching or personal witnesses. And we are called to be evangelists, and that seems like a scary thing because we automatically think of, or at least I do when that word is, is used. And for many years teaching spiritual gifts in lay servant school, uh, most people hear evangelist or, you know, uh, evangelism, and they freeze up because they automatically think of street corner preachers or revival tent preachers or things like that. But I want to clear this up just a little bit so that way you know exactly um, where we fall as believers. The spiritual gift of evangelism is a free gift of grace given by the Holy Spirit to certain people that empowers them to go out and boldly proclaim, uh, proclaim the word. That is a specific gift for specific uh, people. There's many preachers, there are many preachers, there are many teachers that have this spiritual gift that, uh, you know, just heightens their ability to preach and to share that gospel and such. And then there are other people uh, that are not in those categories that the Holy Spirit gifts with this and it just makes that gifting uh, and that ability more powerful. And then as, um, as laity and as as everybody else out there, we are expected to be what's called evangelistic believers. It's still proclaiming who Jesus Christ is, but in a different way. Michael Frost explains in his book, Surprise the World, The Five Habits of Highly Missional People, he says, and I'm paraphrasing a bit here, he says that gifted evangelists are charged with bold proclamation of the gospel. Evangelistic believers are to live questionable lives. If all believers are leading the kind of lives that evoke questions from their friends, then opportunities for sharing faith abound. And it's a chance for the gifted evangelist to boldly proclaim, uh, you know, the word of God. Their ability is increased. He then goes on to say, that speak about Jesus conversationally when questioned, uh, talking about evangelistic believers, that they should speak about Jesus conversationally when questioned about how they deal with suffering, or why they spend their vacation serving the poor, or why they've opened up their homes to refugees, or why they're fasting during Lent, or why they've made career choices that allow them to contribute to the greater social good. I was recently privy to a conversation that I think um, was a pretty profound conversation between a young man and a woman, an older woman that he admired. He'd known this woman um, for years. Now this young man grew up in the church and as a young adult, as so many young adults do, became jaded about Christianity and no longer believes. He told this woman that he has seen her and her husband 
throughout the years that they've started ministries. They've, you know, take, they've um, been in charge of youth groups. They feed people, take vacations to go on mission trips. He said he saw her and her husband's generosity even when people were ungrateful. He saw this couple take people and animals in, he told her. He saw them stop their lives to help someone else. He saw her care for people and on and on. The woman said that she was taken aback by his list of what he has seen her do over many years. And he said, if there was a Jesus, Jesus must be very proud of you. You would get the gold star from Jesus. The young man then told her that um, I could believe in Jesus if I saw more Christians act like you. But I work with Christians, have Christian friends, I see what Christians post on social media, and of all the Christians I know and have known, only a very few are like you. If Jesus is supposed to change your heart and make you a better person, and then he said, if Jesus was real, wouldn't most Christians do what you do? Wouldn't most Christians act more like Jesus? And as I heard that conversation and thought about that con conversation, it's, wow. You know, that was pretty profound. Friends, our task is difficult, but it is so necessary. The witnesses in our scripture had the physical Jesus there with them. He had bones, he showed them the wounds, he wanted to eat. And so they went out and they proclaimed the word knowing that they saw him. But for us, we haven't seen that physical Jesus. We have the presence of Jesus still with us. So how do we show a world that needs to see Jesus, how do we show them Jesus? Sometimes it, I think that our task is way more difficult because we have to make Jesus real to the, to the people like this young man. He had the benefit of knowing and growing up with Jesus and had turned back because he didn't see the Jesus that he had read about and learned about really making a difference in the people that proclaim Christ. And there's so many people like him and there's so many others that know nothing about Jesus. So how do we make Jesus real to a world that doesn't see him except through the lives of the believers? And why is this important? Because people are watching us. Some are waiting for us to make a mistake so they can pounce or proclaim it on, you know, fuss about it on, uh, on social media. Or, and, and that's people not churched and Unfortunately, that's people in the church. Others are watching us like this young man and seeing how we live our lives. They are watching, again, what we say, what we do, what we, what we post, how we act, how we act with our employers, co-workers, friends, how we act with our employees. Because being a Christian doesn't stop when we walk out the door. Claiming Christ affects every single bit, every single moment of our day-to-day -day lives. 
They are watching our response to the hurting world. They're watching how we treat people. They are watching. What will they say from watching you? What will they say from watching me? Every day we have new opportunities to be more Christ-like. Because every day when, when we are devoted to Jesus Christ and we're in our, you know, in our, um, we're praying and we're doing our spiritual disciplines of, of reading scripture, you know, attending Sunday school, Bible study or whatever, you know, we're learning all the time. And I love the phrase, I believe it was Maya Angelou who said, when you know better, you do better. You know, every day we have that opportunity to be more Christ-like. And every day we have new opportunities to live our lives as, the, as if someone were watching, because they are. The unbelievers and other Christians are watching us, but most importantly, Jesus Christ is watching. Every day we have the opportunity to share the love and forgiveness and Christ-like attitude with those around us. Every day we have the opportunity to be true evangelistic believers. I mean, it may just be a phone call of someone having a bad day and then, you know, just kind of in your mind saying, you know, Lord, what can I, what can I say to, to promote you, to show you in this instance? Peter tells us in 1 Peter... Um, uh, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. It begins within each one of us. The young man in his conversation with this uh, Christian woman said, if Jesus is supposed to change you, to change your heart, wouldn't more Christians act like you? We have to first make Christ real to us in our own hearts. Not only just say that we are believers. Because when someone says, oh yeah, you know, I believe in Jesus, and go on living their worldly, fleshly lives, is it any different from the unbelievers? Because even Satan knows who Jesus Christ is. Jesus' crucifixion, death, and resurrection from the dead changed the world. It was the greatest event in history. Death could not hold him. This witness and truth of Jesus changes everything. It changes how we think. It changes our actions. It changes our responses. It changes us from the person that we were before we sat there and thought about it and realized who this Jesus was, it makes us a new person. We are a new person in Jesus Christ. The witness and truth of Jesus changes our theology, it changes our hearts, and it changes our love walk. It changes our lives. If we are not changed by the risen Christ, meaning truly changed in all these things, the way we think, how we treat others, our love, then do we really know Christ at all? Mike Slaughter in his book, Renegade Jesus, says, how do we experience Jesus today? Where do we see him? According to Jesus himself, 
Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. We all think we want to see God, but the divine often shows up in places we least expect. We will see Jesus when, with an expectant heart, we take a walk on the sacrificial side and discover him in the everyday occurrences of life. We have to seek this risen Christ for ourselves like our life depends on it, because it does. We have to experience or see Christ in ourselves before we can be true witnesses to others, before others can see Jesus in us. Reverend Slaughter goes on to say, when we have not been seeking the living and active Jesus, if we have tucked him away to be dusted off periodically, only when the mood strikes us, we risk looking at the Sunday school Jesus of our childhood, a Jesus of our imagination, not a living Savior and Lord who is among us today. Friends, we do. We have a mighty task in showing the world that Jesus is real when they can't physically see him. So our challenge is to let them see Jesus in us. The account and witness of Jesus Christ did not end. It continues on through us, that making of disciples who made disciples, and then here we are, and then we can go out and encourage others and make disciples, and so on and so forth. So I encourage you to think this week, to think on the scripture, to think about your relationship with Jesus, to dig deeper in your personal Bible study, to pray, and this is something that I often do because, you know, I'm a, a, a failing human. Sometimes I have opportunities that come and I miss them and I think I'm always that person that thinks two days later, oh man, I should have said that. Or I had an opportunity to do this. You know, it's, it's, it's time to pray that you don't miss opportunities and that we don't miss these opportunities in our lives to witness to others about Jesus and to pray for new opportunities to witness. So just think about this, that Jesus preached and taught repentance and the coming of the Lord while he was still on this earth. When he ascended, he left this great divine task to share the good news to everyone to his disciples, and he said, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to empower you to do that. They had to wait a little bit. We don't have to wait because, sorry, he's right here. You see, Jesus had no backup plan. He left it all up to us. And the world cannot afford for us believers to fail in this task. It is our time now while we walk on this earth to pick up that torch and to share this message with others, with our neighbors, our kids, our co-workers, our friends, and family. And I encourage you to share it like their life depends on it, because it does. And remember Jesus promised, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let us pray. Holy and righteous God, you raised Christ from the dead and glorified him at your right hand. Let the words of the scripture fulfilled in Jesus, your son, burn within our hearts and open our minds to recognize him and share him with others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.